Thank you so much. I'm glad you're here today. We're in the week three of a teaching series, the, the Great Gift Exchange. Now, if you're like me, thank you, Mikey. You've been to those gift parties where, uh, you know, $20 or $25, everybody brings something, you play a swap game, you know? And uh, I have told you that sometimes I show up at those and I'm not sure whether it's a white elephant gift or what it's supposed to be. And I've had some disastrous things happen in those. And I, I bet you have too. But there are a few things that we can exchange that are pretty overwhelming in our life. And I find them to be completely overwhelming at Christmas, which is the fact that this is the only birthday that everybody gets a gift. I mean, you know, when you're, when you turn your birthday and everybody focuses at you for a day, how great is that? But the entire world recognizes Christmas and how great it truly is. Well, when I hear that song Highlands, I, I think Merry Christmas and welcome home all in the same phrase. Listen to some of those lyrics. So I will praise you on the mountain and I will praise you in the mountains in my way. You're the summit where my feet are, so I will praise you in the valleys all the same. No less God within the shadows, no less faithful when the night leads me astray. You're the heaven where my heart is and the highlands and the heartache all the same. I love the fact that Jesus came and on this birthday that we'll celebrate in just 10 short days, the thing that I love is that he came not to just move our mountains, but to join us as we meet them. He came not only to give us life eternal, but he came to give us life and freedom now. And so today I want us to talk about how we can trade our fear for his faith. Now in week number one, we decided that we would try and trade our stress for his strength. And then last week, our mess for his message. And today is fear for his faith. Now, fear is one of those things that I think most of us would say, I'm not afraid of anything. But I, I can promise you that's not true. We're all afraid of something or many somethings. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I learned in preparing for this teaching was that every single insecurity that you have in your life at some point in some way is grounded in your insecurities and they are grounded in fear. All right, so we're going to do a little uh, object lesson today, and we're going to ask you, if you would, to uh, take your hands, just set whatever away, and put your hands on your lap for a minute, turn them up like this. All right, you got it? Your hands just like this. Now, here's what I'd like for you to do. I want you to take your hands and kind of put them over your mouth like so, all right? Now, I want you to speak into your open hands quietly because you don't want to freak out everybody around you, all right? I want you to whisper in your hands one insecurity that you know you deal with on a regular basis. Now, once you do that, keep your hands together and then close them up. Don't let it out. You ready? Okay, here we go. All right, close them up. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want to take that insecurity and I want you to learn what it would be like to just toss them away. All right, so I'm going to go to three and on three, we're just going to take them and, you know, don't plaster the dude in front of you, okay? But like throw them up a little higher. You ready? One, two, I didn't even get to three and you did it. How awesome is that? And you know, the great thing about that is that that is as easy as it is to recognize that every insecurity that we have is grounded in some degree of fear. Now, let's just stop and say your insecurity was how you look, all right? If that insecurity is real inside of you, and by the way, I think according to national averages, that's a lot of us that are a little insecure about the way we look. 
And so if that were the case and you spoke this into your hands and you tossed them away, the inevitable picture of why you need to unload that is because grounded in that insecurity is a fear that God made a mistake when he made the wonderful you. It is grounded in a fear that says, well, my God probably isn't enough to fix me. Maybe, maybe you're insecure over your finances or your education or your intellect. Maybe you're insecure because you, you're not famous or you're not popular or you believe people don't like you. Every one of those are grounded in some degree in fear and that fear has something great to do with how you see God. Now, we have all kinds of visions of how we see God in this room. We've got folks that would say, yes, I call on the name of the Father all day, every day, all the way to folks that would say, I'm not sure I believe a thing when it comes to God. But what I know is this, at every level of our belief system, fear is true in every human life. And that fear will breed insecurity. And that insecurity is going to manifest itself in lots of different ways. Now, if you take a guy like me that's been fat most of my life, what I tend to do is I tend to make jokes about that, not because I think my weight is heavy, but it's easier to do that than it is to say, I, I don't get my weight under control. Are you with me? If you're afraid that maybe when you speak publicly, it's not what people want to hear. And so you grind those insecurities into some type of joke that you can hide behind. And the, and the truth is we all have them. Now you might be sitting here right now and say, I got no insecurity. Well, your insecurity might be the fact that you won't look deeply enough in yourself to find them. Because the truth is we all have fears and those fears are going to create insecurities in our life. Fear is something that keeps us often stuck and in a rut. And oftentimes we find that fear is at the root of jealousy, anger, bitterness, and most everything we try to cope with. A survey of American adults discovered the following fears listed in order. You ready? Number one fear of American adults, public speaking. Number two, heights. Number three, bugs. Number four, drowning. Number five, needles and blood. Number six, claustrophobia. Number seven, flying. Number eight, strangers. Number nine, listen to this, number nine, zombies. And number 10, which I totally get, clowns. So in essence, we're more afraid of, of speaking publicly than a zombie apocalypse. We are more afraid, we are more afraid of speaking publicly than clowns. I mean, think about this. This is America where we find so many things that we're afraid of. If you look at the heart of why Washington is split and people just yak and scream over each other, it is all grounded in some insecurity and some fear. Well, I'm afraid if they, if they take power, this is what's gonna happen. But if they take power, this is what's gonna happen. You know, at the end of the day, whoever takes power, God's in control. I mean, when you look at whatever they're fighting over, at the end of the day, how silly is it for us to have an insecurity or a fear built into that, knowing that God's going to allow what God chooses to allow. And the greatest way to overcome that fear is simply to honor him. So if we're going to play a part of that, we might ought to take a look at how we're gonna trade our fear for his faith and in the, in the gospel of Mark chapter five, there's a story straight out of the scriptures of Jesus and the disciples caught out on a lake in a small Jesus boat as they call it over there today, 
a, a, a raging storm comes and disciples are fearful that the boat is gonna go down and they're gonna drown. Now, their fear of the storm finally overrides their fear of waking Jesus up because he's asleep in the storm. I want you to just get that picture right now that Jesus in the middle of the storms, he is not running and he is not fearful. He's completely sleeping through it all. Nothing about that has got him freaked out. He's asleep in the boat and these disciples are finally, okay, we don't know what else to do, so we're gonna wake Jesus up. Which by the way, sounds like us when the world's falling apart around us and somebody says, well, you know, the only thing left to do is to pray. And I would argue, hey guys, when the storm started, why didn't you wake Jesus up? When you saw the wind start howling, why didn't you do it then? Well, because the only thing left to do, I guess, is to pray. You know, the lesson here is when our world has this fearful moment that grips our soul, the first place we run to is Christ Jesus, not the last. If you wanna shorten the distance you're in a storm, go to a God that never sleeps and never slumbers for his son controls the wind and the waves. Jesus wakes up and he looks at everything going on. The lightning is crashing and the thunder is rolling and all of the things are going on with a storm and the disciples have turned white as ghosts. They're scared they're gonna die. And Jesus asks this question, why are you so afraid? Now let that sink in for just a minute. Now, I don't know how many of you are dealing with the problem that Christmas is coming and I don't have the money to meet everybody's expectation. Christmas is coming and we don't have our own home to go to. Christmas is coming and I've lost my job. Christmas is coming and I don't know if this will be mom's last Christmas. Christmas is coming and this is the first Christmas without dad. I don't know how many you are facing all those difficulties at Christmas, but what I do know is this, don't wait till Christmas to call on the name of the Lord because he's waiting right there for you. All you have to do is not, Lord, help me. You say, but Chuck, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to ask. Well, listen, when you call on the name of the Lord, here's what I promise he is gonna look at. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? But then, you know, after he stormed everything down, after the wind stopped blowing and the lightning stopped flashing, the thunder stopped rolling, after the waves stopped crashing in, after all that went away, then they truly were afraid. And the question they ask is, who is this? Who is this that control all of nature? But the story gets more interesting, Mark chapter five. Beginning in verse one, it says, so they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gasserines. And when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. And whenever he was put into chains and shackles as often he was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. The man saw him, ran to meet him and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus has already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. And there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. 
Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the deep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want any of that sausage, do you? I don't want any of that ham. And, and, and as much as I love bacon, I don't want any of that. You see, wherever Jesus shows up, something is about to be turned. There's a problem that is about to be solved. Wherever Jesus shows up, a fear is going to be replaced with faith. But there's only one thing you've got to do is allow him to do that. He's not going to force this on you. He wants your love and your trust to come freely because he's given you a free will to choose. Everyone was fearful of this dude that lived in the graveyard. He, they couldn't keep him chained. They couldn't keep him shackled. They couldn't keep him from being destructive to both him and everybody around them. But you know, again, one of the things I love about Jesus is that he didn't play around. When he steps into a situation, it's about to get solved. People from all around came to see what happened. And Mark tells us that when they arrive and they see this man who'd been possessed sitting next to Jesus, <clears throat> dressed and in his right mind, they were now afraid. So they asked Jesus, they plead with Jesus for him to leave. You say, but wait a minute. I thought what he did was he cured this guy's problem. Oh, he did. But he didn't do it in such a way that was neat and clean and wonderful for all of the religious people to say, isn't that good? You know, another thing I've noticed that wherever Jesus shows up, there's always messy people involved. You ever notice that? Wherever Jesus shows up, there's people that have whacked out stuff going on in their life. I mean, we're about to find a few more. Could I just give you just a, a thought? Look around at the people around you. Go ahead and just turn around. Look around everywhere. Go, I, no, really, turn around, look. Aren't you glad to know they're as whacked out as you are? I mean, seriously, aren't you just thrilled to know that those people are just as messed up as you are? Now, if you're one of those people that sat here today and you looked around and you thought, I'm glad they're not as messed up as me, you're really messed up. Because I don't know anybody that's not whacked out in some way. I don't know anybody that's not weird in some way. I don't know anybody that doesn't have their own stuff going on. But you know what I've noticed? Fear seems to draw people to Jesus. Fear seems to draw us to him. Fear of illness or death or evil or brokenness or heartache. But for others, fear pushes us away. Fear pushes us away because with Jesus, you're gonna confront that fear. With Jesus, you're going to confront the solution. With Jesus, you're going to confront that sin. With Jesus, you're going to confront that difficulty. Because again, he's going to turn everything right side up and he turns lives around. Jesus seems to recognize the deep fear within all people. And what kind of fears did you bring into church with you this morning? Like what are the fears that you carried in in your pocket? What are those fears that you blew into your hand and you threw them away? What are those fears that are deep down inside you? I know folks that exercise and are motivated by fear of losing physical abilities as you age, afraid of not being able to bend down and tie your shoes anymore, of losing independence. Or maybe you don't exercise because you have a fear of getting injured and, and having some slow decline or, or worse, having to play those medical bills. And you know what I've discovered? That there is a fear of being lonely. There's a fear of losing a loved one. 
There's a fear of living without a loved one. The fear of what drugs or alcohol or other addictions can do. Fear of terrorists in our world. There's the fear of failing or looking foolish. I think more than anything, when it comes to speaking in public, it's not that we're afraid to speak in public, it's afraid that we're gonna look silly in public. Because we are so radically concerned about what people think about us. And if you don't think that's true, go to Perimeter Mall or the Mall of Georgia and see how many storefronts or how many stores have mirrors on the wall. They're everywhere. And we are confronted with them. And no matter who we are, we always, when we walk by the mirror, take a look. And you know what happens? We look at ourselves with either a healthy perspective of how our God created us, or we look at ourselves with a fear that God's not good enough or strong enough to make us the way we want to be. Some of these fears drive individuals in the Bible to Jesus as well. I mean, Jesus could have been afraid of the Roman authorities and they might blame him, but he wasn't. You see, the story goes on. Let's skip down to verse 21. And it says, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw, Jairus, when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. And Jesus went with him and all the people followed crowding around him. Now, this is fascinating. If you skip down to verse 35, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. Now, I want to put a period right there and stop. Guys, just leave the scripture up for a minute. But here's what I want you to know. This guy wasn't some bystander in what was going on in and around now. This was a leader of the synagogue. He was a big cog in a synagogue. This is a big deal. He's a religious bad boy. This dude has power. But his daughter, about 12 years old, is dying. And the one place that he knows to run to now is Jesus, the son of the living God. He doesn't run to the church. He doesn't run to ritual. And he doesn't run to law. He runs straight to love, which is found in the Lord Jesus. And look what happens. Messengers arrived in verse 35 from the home of this religious leader and they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Now the teacher we know is Jesus. So the people have come from Jairus's home and they've come over here where Jesus has just thrown these pigs out, come back across the lake. The disciples are now a bit freaked out. The people around the graveyard are freaked out. And here one of the religious leaders comes to Jesus and says, my daughter is dying, but now messenger. is dead as a doorknob. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Now, I don't know about you. Um, I, I know what it feels like to have a spouse die. I know what it is to have parents die. I know what it is to have a sibling die. I know all those feelings. And you know, the last thing I don't need somebody to say to me is to pop the cork on a Bible verse that says, don't be afraid just have faith? Well, you know, it's easy to say just, just have faith when you're not the one that has had the loved one die. 
It's easy to say, don't be afraid when you're not the one that's had the loved one die. But you see, the key is Jairus has had his daughter die. And Jesus is, I can only imagine Jesus saying, saying, hey, buddy, you don't worry about that. Don't be afraid. Have faith. Well, now, clearly, he doesn't go creepy on him because he, he chooses faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. And the crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around and they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Are you seeing a pattern here? I mean, the disciples are amazed that he shuts down all of nature. The people around the graveyard are amazed that he has cured this man. Now the people are amazed around Jairus' home where Jesus has healed his daughter. But I'm jumping ahead a little bit. After after Jesus is stopped and asked by Jairus to heal his daughter, and while the crowds are pressing in on him, there's a woman, a sickly woman, a woman considered less than human in that context, and a cast off as wicked, disease riddled, and she's just a creature to the rest of mankind. In verse 25 of the same chapter, the Bible says a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. This woman was experiencing her menstrual cycle constantly, 30 days a month, and had been going on year after year after year after year. She'd gone to every doctor. She'd been poked and prodded by every doctor. She spent every dime that she'd ever had all year, all gone, but she had heard about Jesus. She had heard that Jesus was coming through town and a crowd had gathered. She knew that Jairus had already asked Jesus, but he hadn't left to go there yet. You see, the part that I got ahead of myself of was that the story about Jairus, he stopped Jesus, would you come help me? But right after that, this lady stepped in. With all of the crowd, maybe hundreds of people gathered around Jesus, listen to what happens. In verse 27, she had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, listen to this, if I could just touch his robe, I would be healed. Now, let, you may want to make a note about this. Whatever insecurity, whatever fear you're dealing with right now, that same robe is touchable for you. That same Jesus is right there for you. You say, well, where is he? Right here with you. He's waiting for you to reach out and to touch him. Listen to what happens. If I could just touch his robe, I'll be healed. And in verse 29, immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. And Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, listen to this, who touched my robe? Now, do you think Jesus didn't know that? He, of course he knew that. I mean, he's God. He knew, but why would he ask that question? Not because he needed to know who it was, but the crowd needed to know that she knew he was who he needed to get to. You see, we ask people sometimes, Chuck, I'd love to get baptized, but I'm afraid to. It's no different than reaching out and touching the hymn. 
That girl that, that got baptized this morning, that brave girl, you know what I think to myself? She knew Jesus was there. She just reached out and touched the hymn. Some of us are just waiting to reach out and touch the hymn. In verse 31, his disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? I mean, they're saying, come on, really? We got a guy who's got a daughter six. We got to keep moving. I mean, he's got handlers out there that think their job is to keep him moving. And Jesus stops in the middle of all these people and he wants to know who did this, knowing full and well he knew already. But he kept looking around to see who had done it in verse 32. And in verse 33, then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, listen to this phrase, daughter. Nowhere else in scripture does the Lord Jesus use that term, daughter. You say, well, what's so significant about it? Watch this. She came in need of healing, fearful of her problem, fearful of being an outcast, fearful of being seen among the crowd, fearful that she could be put to death by stoning by being in that crowd, fearful that her disease may never go away, but faithful in the belief that I could just get to Jesus. I know good things will happen. And she reaches out and she touches the hem of his garment. He turns around and calls her this beautiful name, daughter. You know why? Because instantaneously, when she chose Jesus and she chose faith over her fear, what happened was he adopted her immediately into his family and you came on as a believer, as a joint heir in Jesus, the son of the living God. Okay, I'm just trying to say that again. If y'all were the 11 o'clock, you'd have hooped and hollered. I have to tell them all the time, I'm glad at least one service in here talks back to me. All right, so let me try this one more time and y'all get warmed up. Are you ready? She reached out and touched him on the hem. She decided to choose faith over fear. She chose when Jesus turned around to acknowledge it was me. And Jesus then immediately adopted her into the family as a joint heir, as the son of the living God and a daughter of God. And she got healing in every possible way. And the people said, Lord have mercy. Y'all are gonna kill me trying to get y'all to talk back to me. The 11 o'clock service talks back the whole time. It's so much fun. You know what, I'll make a deal with you. I'll preach shorter if you'll talk back. Oh, so now you're willing to do it. Great, awesome. Listen to this, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. You know why we end every service and I say go in peace? Because of that right there. Because I believe when Jesus shows up, he wants to take hold of your life that you could leave in peace. This courageous woman in the crowd had been living a life full of fear. There'd been the fear of her illness, the bleeding and the painful procedures, being poked and prodded and practiced some type of primitive kind of medicine. She's lost all dignity. Her illness had cost her so much, it literally took on a fear that was addictive. And under Jewish law, she was unclean and unfit. She was not human according to that law. But when Jesus saw her, what did he say? You're not just somebody healed, you're my kid. You're my daughter. Come on, I love you. There is nothing you could do to make me not love you. And then can you imagine J. Iris? Imagine J. Iris right now, but Jesus, I told you my daughter is dying and you stopped another 15 minutes and now she's dead. 
You could have gotten there, but you didn't go. You stayed here because of that woman. You know, for 12 long years, this lady had fears that kept her from living fully, from living fruitfully, and from living faithfully. And I promise you, there's some of us in this room that are in the same boat. And some of us are thinking, how come he didn't go take care of Jairus' daughter? But we know how that story ended, didn't we? We know that Jesus said, little girl, get up, and she did. Even though the messenger said the girl is dead, why bother Jesus anymore? Listen to me. No matter what is dead in your life right now, whatever has come unraveled in your life right now, whatever cancer has done to your life right now, whatever ever is battling in your life right now, Jesus is bigger than that. And you've got to choose his faith over your fear. And when you do, he will take over. But you've got to let him. You've got to let him. You know, there's something that's stronger than their fears, which flies in the face of the helplessness and the hopelessness. Friend, that's Jesus. Because Jesus responds, Jesus restores, and Jesus reunites. He responds to the disciples' fear. He restores the sanity to the man possessed. He restores the life of Jairus' daughter, and he reunites the young girl with her parents and reunites the woman with her community. Are you in need for Jesus to respond to you today? Are you desperate for Jesus to restore you today? Are you in need of Jesus to reunite you with your family and your friends and your community and your faith community today? You say, well, Chuck, I, I got to have something different than what I've got right now. But my life right now, I don't, this is not how I want to live. This is not who I want to be. This is not where I want to become. Well, the word used by Mark in this story, in each one of these cases is that Jesus saves. Jairus asked Jesus to put his hands on his daughter so that she might be saved from death. The woman says to herself, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be saved. And Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has saved you. Salvation is about being able to live a life free from fear, free from helplessness, saved from hopelessness. Salvation is about wholeness in this life, not just heaven in the next. Salvation is finding ourselves at home in a faith community. Salvation is being set free to live faithfully. And when Jesus tells the woman, daughter, your faith has saved you, he's not implying that somehow she saved herself but that it was her faith that allowed God's saving power to flow into her. The sickly dying woman needed to be saved physically and she needed to be saved spiritually. She didn't sneak up behind Jesus and steal a healing. Salvation is free, it's grace. Yet the woman needed more than just a physical healing. She needed, she desperately needed to share her whole truth with Jesus and despite it all be called daughter. She needed to receive acceptance to be witnessed by the folks who had shunned her for all those years. You know, the interruption of the sick woman into the story of Jairus and his daughter builds fear as well, doesn't it? There's a lot of us that would say, you know what, Chuck, if Jesus would fix my mess today, I'd believe. Well, if Jesus would right now take away that financial burden, then and I'd believe. But you see, Jesus is saying, I am not a gumball machine that you can put a quarter in and twirl the knob and all of a sudden you've got an answer. 
You see, Jesus is going to wait for you to step out in faith so that he might could answer your faith and deliver healing and hope and salvation. Where there is hopelessness, he will deliver hope, but he's going to wait until you choose to ask him for it. You say, but why? Why wouldn't he just step in? Because you see, he loved us first and he's waiting on us to love him back. You know, the opposite of bad is not good. The opposite of bad is love. And the definition of love, the Bible says that God is love. Jesus came so that he would love you through it all. I've seen up close this year, some fear, some real fear. I've seen it in the faces of immigrants fleeing Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras at our southern border. I've seen it in Haitians' family, trying to, Haitian families trying to survive following the hurricane in the Abacus Islands. I've seen where they still don't have fresh water and they're living under trees. And when I hear and see these images of fear and helplessness and hopelessness, I hear Jesus speaking not only to Jairus, but to each and every person who is losing hope. But listen, what does Jesus say? Stop being afraid, have faith. Stop being afraid, keep believing. Say with me, stop being afraid, just keep on believing. And, and, and this is not a pop song. He's saying, just stop. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm going to whisper it into there and I'm going to send it to you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to release it. That was Jesus' message to Jairus. Stop being afraid. Keep believing. Keep on trusting in me and you will see a miracle. That was Jesus' message to the sickly outcast woman. Stop being afraid. Just keep on believing. I believe that is Jesus' message, not just then, but now 2,000 plus years later. I believe it's the message as he walks up and down the aisles of this church right now. I believe he wants to stop, stop and say, do you want to keep believing or do you want to stay in fear? Do you want me to step into your life and to deliver a miracle or do you want to stop believing? Which one do you want? And I believe he says to every person today, keep on believing. So then why don't we? I'll tell you why we don't. Because what might happen when people see me trusting Jesus? You know what I know to be true that as the church is Christ's body in this world, We are to speak Jesus' message to others, to family, to friends, to strangers, to anyone, everyone living in fear. We're to teach and say, stop being afraid, keep on believing. We're to speak in Jesus' name with his authority. And some of us have spoken so differently for so long, we can't even fathom taking our fear and our insecurity and trusting him with it. But listen to that song again. I will praise him in the mountain. I will praise him when the mountain's in my way. I will praise him in the valleys all the same. No less God within the shadows, no less faithful when the night leads me astray. He is heaven where my heart is in the highlands and the heartache all the same. One of the, one of the verses in that song says this, you ready? He's just not that hard to find. Listen to me, friend, today, he's not that hard to find. He is here. Let's pray. God, today, we trust you and we thank you and we praise you. You're just not that hard to find. That we know that you're at work with us on the mountain and when the mountain's in our way. God, I believe there are people in this room and watching online right now that would say, Chuck, I need Jesus in my life. I need to trust him with my life. I need to to trust him to move that mountain. I need for him to be with me on the mountain. I need him to step into my life and eliminate my fear and eliminate my insecurity. And if that's you today, then this prayer is so simple. Jesus, I call on your name. 
and I trust in you this day. Step into my life. Heal me and forgive me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for raising from the dead for me. Thank you for creating a home in heaven for me. And God, today I trust you with all I am to turn my life around and live for you. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. And if you prayed that, friend, I promise you, God heard you, God answered you, God has delivered you, and it is time for you to live in freedom, not fear, and to take hold of his faith and let your fear, let your insecurity go. Blow it into your hand and throw it up to him and trust him with whatever that is. Come on, join me as we worship the name of the Lord Jesus. Let's praise him. Come on, church. Come on, church. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's worship him. Come on, church. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, some of us got to receive it like a prayer. Many of us need to receive it as a call. And most of us just need to say, I trust you. How about you? If the mountains is that you? Oh, how far and scale the valleys yeah. If you grace the Amen. side You know how long have I chased rivers yeah. From lowly seas to where they mm. rise Against the rush grace descending From the source yeah. of out. In the highlands and the heartache, you'll need them more no less. Yeah, that's good. And I would search and stop at nothing, but you're just not. Man, he's just not that hard to find. He's right here. Come on, church. Come on, church. Come on, now's not the time to get shy. Come on, church. Sing it to him, church. Yeah. Yeah. You in the valley's all the same. No less God within the shadows. No less faithful when the night leads straight. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Like a lamb slain 
for me. Come on, church. I will praise you on the mountain. I will praise you when the mountains in my way. You're the sun. Come on, church. Man, that's so good. Come on, church. before you and make a way and make your crooked path straight. Let him move the mountain. Let him go within you and bring you peace and joy, fulfillment and contentment because he is always good and you are always loved. And let him come and pick you up and put you on his back and carry you through those days that are beating you up. And the world seems to have gone crazy and let him carry through the middle of it, not around it, only to set you down victoriously on your two feet and wipe away your tears and kiss you on the forehead and wrap those big loving arms of his around you and draw you up close so you can see your savior eyeball to eyeball and hear him say, my child, say it with me, I love you. God bless you, go in peace. Hey, Sherry Boucher.